0: Good morning. How are you all this morning, aside from the complaints about the rain? (laughs) Heard many of that this morning. I wanted to introduce myself in just a moment or two, uh, but as the kids are leaving, and you're all getting ready and getting settled down, I'm gonna break that mentality by asking for some two dreaded words for many of you. Audience participation. But for those of you who do not care to talk to one another and just want to sit here and listen, here's the good news. You don't have to talk to anybody. Unless you want to do this with your family group or your if you're here with a roommate, whoever's in your household, you may be here, you might want to do this together. So what I need you to do is, if you are the old-fashioned people, which is I really love, if you have a piece of paper, you're here to take notes, take that piece of paper out. If you are like me, which for many reasons I hope you're not, and you have a device in front of you, turn it open, to, open it up to a notepad that you can write on. Use your finger, okay? So pull that out now, and as you're doing that, think of the people that you have seen, whether in person or virtually, in this last month. Maybe even in this last week, but think of the people that you have to interact with. So. If you're in high school, university, you probably have had to talk to people. If you are at work, like me, uh, actually, no, this week we've been on strike. I work for the federal government. That's a different story for a different day. Uh, But if you have to talk to people on Zoom or on Teams, think of people you talk to virtually, very common. And then what I want you to do is I want you to take your finger or your pen and draw yourself a tic-tac-toe box. We're not playing tic-tac-toe but just draw that for me, okay? Can you do that? Now, in the middle box, I want you to put either your own name or your family name or your household name. So if you live with your family and you are the OWL family, then you put your last name there. for some, for, for some of you, we have roommates, and you're kind of like a household unit. P- call yourself something. Give yourself a team name or something like that. Okay? Simple enough, right? Now, here is where your brains need to start working. On the top row, you'll see three boxes up there. All right? Now, as you're thinking about the people you've connected with over the last month or so, think about three names or three households who do not share your ethnic identity. To be, make it easier on you, think of three households or names uh, who don't share your same first language or your common language. They speak something else at home. Okay? Now, as I've done this in other churches, I, I've always tell them, I'm not asking you to say, oh, the Korean neighbors across the street. I want names. And I'm bag with names myself and hopefully you can think of people outside of this of eagle ridge church think of three names or households you interact with who do not share your ethnic identity who don't share a first language that you do or your comfortable language your heart language all right i'll give you a moment of that jot those names down think of that okay Now for those of you who are ahead, let's go on to the second part. On the bottom, you'll see three boxes there as well, okay? Think about three names or houses of people who do not share your faith or your religious belief. I'm not gonna assume that you're coming here today as a Christian follower of Jesus. But whatever your beliefs is, or maybe no belief, or wherever you stand, I want you to think about three people that you interact with over the last month who may not share what you believe. Okay? Some of you may be thinking, oh my goodness, I already used those three people on the top, which by the way is a good thing, I'll talk about that later. Think of three more people if that's the case. Now you'll see those two boxes to the left and to the right of your name, or your family name, or your household name, or your team name, whatever you want to call it. For those two boxes, I want you to think in the last month, or if you had to stretch even further back, that's okay too. Think about a couple of people in your life who for you, and you don't have to share those with anybody else, unless for uh, the Bible study groups who have been asking for questions, you can share that there. Think of two names or two family groups or whatever that for for you, you consider they're hard to love, they're hard to care for. They, They cost you something. They make it difficult for you to care for them. Think of two of these people. Simple. Straightforward. Kind of scared. All right. My name is Conrad. My wife and I, Rachel's sitting over there. um, We've been coming to Eagle Ridge for a couple of years. I am a uh, church planting pastor with the Canadian National Baptist Convention, uh, but I've known Pastor David for a very long time, and a couple of years ago when Rachel and I got married, we thought it was important to be in community with people as Our ministry serves mostly people who don't know Jesus, and mostly people, in fact, one of the closest friends in our community are non-believers, and and they're searching, they're they're wrestling with it all, and through it all, we felt it was important to connect with a local church, a body of believers, and you guys have been just so amazing to adapt us um, as we may have be serving different denominations, but we serve one God. We serve one church, and we serve one Jesus, and we need this kind of collaboration. We call, I call it a, a different level of gospel collaboration to work with one another, because as we're talking about today, the Jesus gospel is a God-given message to all. And we're going through the book of Galatians, and last week, Ariel started us off, and she talked about how the church was planted in Galatia, and everything was happy and people were excited, but over time, people started to retreat back to the things they knew, the things that brought them comfort. I was born in Hong Kong myself, and what I didn't realize um, until I moved to Canada and became a Christian is that there were people in Hong Kong who were blessed by missionaries of yesteryears who were sent from north america to go and reach people in asia and there was a zeal and a zealous for people for people to come to know jesus in hong kong in the the early days in the late 40s and early 50s after the war um, as missionaries were being sent there from this part of the world and after a while, as things settled down and as us as people or as missionaries believe that the area is reached, uh, they started to incorporate some of their comfort food, their comfort tendencies, the cultural comforts into the church. And sometimes it gets messed up. It's like, is this Jesus or is this what I enjoy? Is this Jesus or is this what, you know, we It gets a little clouded, a little messy. And as we find out in Galatians, it's been like that through history. And we repeat it over and over again. And Paul's letter to Galatia is to try to nip that in the bud, to stop that trend of cultural comfort, to continue to infiltrate the the people in Galatia. We're going to continue our study in Galatia this morning. And you're going to read the Bible. We're going to read from Galatians chapter 1. Um, we're going to continue on from verse 11 onwards. And we're just going to break it up a little bit um, along the way so you'll be able to follow along and, and kind of absorb the, story, the, the, the letter uh, as Paul writes it. In, in verse 11... Paul, who, by the way, as we'll discover and we'll be reminded in the in, in the passage here, is somebody who used to be so anti-Jesus, he says this: "For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached to me is not of human origin; for I did not receive it from human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by revelation of Jesus Christ." Paul says to Galatians, by the way, I didn't get this from another human. I didn't get this passion from humans. I got it because of the transformation, he went straight to the source. It, he got us straight to the source, and it was a gospel that was not influenced by culture. It wasn't like, hey, Jesus loves you, and oh, by the way, here in Jerusalem, we like to do this and like to do that and like to do that, and sometimes... You, you feel that when you walk into a, a church, and when you walk into a culture, it's like, hey, Jesus loves you. Um, and the first time I went to church, the church really likes to uh, work, work our knees. You know what they mean? It's like, okay, everybody stand up. So you stand up. Okay, now you're going to sit down for this, So you sit down for that. And you stand up, it's like, sit down. And it's like, what are we doing here? Is, are, we, are we doing Pilates? Is that what we're doing? Every church has different cultures. Here's how we do things here. Paul says, uh-uh, I'm not influenced by anything. The gospel is not influenced by culture, and it's not designed to please people. Paul says, I'm not here to try to make sure that somebody back in Jerusalem is happy with me. I'm here because Jesus sent me, and it is a difficult gospel to share because it's not there to please people. I was actually having a coffee this week with Pastor David as he's on sabbatical, and I said, you know, I think we have to realize, as Christians, that what we're asking people to believe, it's nuts. It's ludicrous, almost. You're telling somebody that some guy came and died for you, rose again on the third day, and we sound like, oh, yeah, this is, this is very normal, you know, and then you come to church, we do this and we do that. No, it's not, the, and it's going to rock their boats. And for us here in North America, yeah, you know, we... we it's something that we grew up with, sort of, kind of sort of speaking. I, um, we went to church as a kid. We went to Christian clubs as a kid. Uh, Mr. Dick over there was the leader of a, church, a Christian club back in Pine Tree Secondary. You know, something we grew up with most of the time. But it's ludicrous when you don't know anything about it. It's not there to design, it's not designed to please people. He goes on, for you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. And he goes on and says, but when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart, hide like that, underlined or whatever you want to do with it, and call me by his grace, I was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. And for those days, Gentiles are people who don't look like you, who don't eat your food, who don't speak your language, who don't like your comfort. I did not immediately consult with anybody. I did not go to Jerusalem to those who had been apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Not much is known in the Scripture, and not much is known scholarly about what Paul did in Arabia. But here's the key. Paul sent this message, that divine message to the Galatians, not because he learned how to from somebody. He trusted God and not man. And even those men who we'll talk about later uh, were trustworthy people. He longed for the source. And instead of going and asking what the traditional comforts were, he wanted the pure, pure gospel. Paul was anything but a Sunday school product. He was not a kid zone product. He was not a junior church product. He was not a small group product. He went from the anti of the Antichrist to an apostle. And God, he said, from his mother's womb, set him apart for that moment, for that transformation. He knows the difference between the before and the after, he knows that difference. Then he says, after three years, I, I, Paul, did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days, but I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, I declared in the sight of God, I am not lying when I write to you. And he goes on and says, "Um, afterwards, I went to the regions of Syria and Sicily. I remained impersonally unknown to the Judean churches that are in Christ. They simply kept hearing, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So anti the culture of today. Because when you think about it, he actually avoided the fanfare. He didn't want the recognition. All people heard, according to what Paul wrote here, is that some guy who wanted us practically dead back in the day is now preaching the word of God and and they are rejoicing about it. So much so that I believe that that's why, partially why, God wanted to change his name. That there won't be any fanfare. It's all focused on God. He wasn't seeking men's approval. And then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. I went up according to a revelation, presented to them the gospel I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those recognized as leaders, I wanted to be sure I was not running and not been running in vain. He did not get a fancy invitation to be a keynote speaker. It wasn't like the poster with a picture of it of yourself and says, keynote here. And then, and then, you know, one time I spoke at a conference. I was invited, and it got silly. Um, I was, they had, a, you know, the green rooms in the back and, and the food that they serve you, and you treat it like a rock star. And for about a moment, I enjoyed it. And afterwards, it got embarrassing. It just got weird. It's like you get you know, cater food and everybody, everybody else came to the conference with a little packed sandwich that they had to bring from home. He went to Jerusalem because of God's revelation there. And he went there not to go to speak to people who already know Jesus. He went there specifically to share to people who don't know. He went privately to talk to the leaders, but his goal was to go there because of a revelation from God. He did not wait for an invitation. He did not wait for his picture to show up on the website or on the social media. He went. He just went. And he went for those who don't know Jesus. He continues uh, in chapter two, but not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. That matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment so that, you're, so that the truth of the gospel would be persevered for you. Last week, Ariel walked us through what circumcision was, and it was an identity. It was an identity marker. It was something you choose because you want, and, and before Jesus came, it was something that people chose to say, I, I identify as such and such. But Jesus came to knock that all down and said, your identity is now with him and not with anything you may do. And yet, because it's not popular with people's comfort food, naysayers will always stick with culture. They end up serving two masters, really, They serve God and they serve comfort. And when I say they, I mean me, I mean all of us. If we're really honest about ourselves, we're serving God because we want to, we love God, we love Jesus. I I, I don't want to lift an extra finger that 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 I have to. You know what I mean? If we're really honest with ourselves, we're that too. And we end up protecting our cultural comfort we end up protecting what we enjoy, not just on a Sunday, but during the week. See, here, here's the truth. The truth, as Paul continues to write, or as I would summarize what he's written so far, the truth is that the gospel is for everyone, and it is preserved for you, whoever you are. Whatever skin color, whatever hair color, whoever you are, it is for you. And then here's the other part of the gospel. The gospel is about repeating and sending. Now, he continues in chapter 2, from those who recognize as important what they once were makes no difference to me, but God, and God doesn't show any favoritism, he says, they added nothing to me those who were recognized as important, those who were the leaders. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was was for the circumcised, since one is at work in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. They started recognizing what Paul was doing, the early leaders, and when James... Peter and John, those who recognize recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me. They gave the right of hand of fellowship to me, and Barnabas agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which I had made every effort to do. The purpose of the gospel, Peter said, or sorry, Paul says, is that the pillars of the faith, the people who have been entrusted with the faith to share, their job is to empower others to do the same wherever they are. It's not their show; it's not a conference speaker show. It's it's every one of our shows we are there we are we we want to empower you to go send when people talk about sending missionaries i challenge the churches don't send your spare parts send the best people you've got Whew. well i spent about 15 minutes on this and i'm preaching to most people who already know this so shall we be done with it and move on and go back to our own little comfort zone Hmm. A question I have for us this morning is How do you think we are performing? How do you think this has been played out around us? Jesus left us with the commandment and the commission. How do we, how are are we performing? Maybe I'll just remind you of what they are. He says, to love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength, this is the greatest and most important command. The second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says right before he left, the, he, he left the early, his, his disciples. He says to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the ends of the ages. So our marching orders from Jesus, if we believe that we are followers of Jesus— Paul believed he's a follower of Jesus. His marching orders was to go and make disciples of all nations. Go to all people, Jews, Gentiles, I don't care what you identify yourself today. We still want to love you. That's our marching orders as Christians in Canada, in North America. In Coquitlam, how are we performing today? I'm going to warn you, it's not going to look pretty. Here in Coquitlam, if we take the total population of our city and then we take it to the best known number of people who just attend the church on a Sunday, maybe some who are going somewhere else, say, to a bigger church downtown or, or some other places to driving away from church, to, away from Coquitlam to church, um, the best known numbers. If we take the population divided by that. We're looking less than 5% of our population currently that connect with an evangelical church. Less than 5% of that. Sometimes, as church leaders and as you, you talk with church people, and they talk about how many people show up. As a, as a pastor of a small church and as a, as, a, as a missionary, the one quick question I always get is well, how many people come? Well, how many people come? How many people come? But what if we reverse that as Christians, and think about the number that actually matters? What does f- less than 5% look like in your life? Um, if we're not striking at the federal government, uh, I had just finished a, s- a six-month stint leading, a, a, a managing a team of 13 people. I know for a fact that none of them are followers of Jesus. But, 5% of that would mean that um, one or maybe two of them have a relation to Jesus, and if Jesus comes back tomorrow or if something happens to them tomorrow, they will be with Jesus in heaven tomorrow, and the rest, hmm. Let me bring that a little further. I know that most of them probably don't have the hope that we know in our lives, that they're living without the hope of knowing Jesus is coming, that they're, they're, they're there, they're not persevering in vain, that there's, go, there's a message of hope. Most of them are searching. For students who are here today, you're going to school, high school students, college students, you're probably interacting with 100 people uh, on the weekly basis. 5% of that, well, makes it easy. You and four other people have that relationship with Jesus. The others are seeking hope right now. And here's a dirty trend. You take those five people. See, when I was in Pine Tree Secondary, I had Five friends who showed me the love of God because they, are, they, were, they were zealous for Jesus. they had joys on their faces I did not understand, and I wanted it. And so when it came time for me to ex, ex, understand my disparity, I knew where to turn. Those five friends, only one, is still connected. To a church. A second started coming to our church, uh, our our church ministry on Monday nights, and she's moved to Maple Ridge, and and we believe that she's really uh, um, planting a ministry. So that's something to celebrate. But for the longest time, my testimony is that all those five friends that I looked up to, that I remembered when I needed a hope, only one is still there. And if you go to a school, like our son, who by the way, I forgot to mention, thank you so much for walking with us as in our adoption journey. It's been just a joy to have him uh, be a part of the children ministry here at Eagle Ridge. But if you go to a school like our sons, um, what we discovered is that in that school of 500 kids, there's only 20 addresses in the database where it doesn't have a sweet number in front of it. So that means that if you are part of one of those families, you have no other choice but to interact with neighbors in the elevator, you're you're sharing lanes, there's no excuse. We used to live in an apartment. There, I counted at least 12 different languages in there. There were 300 people in that apartment. Oh, the 300 people apartment, if you live over in those towers around here, you probably have 1,000 people in there, maybe. That's 50 people that know Jesus and the others need hope. They need hope. And here's the sad part about it. 50 people is the average size of a Canadian church. It reminds, it shows me that building a church, and I love Ego Ridge, I love everything what we do on a Sunday. Building a church doesn't get us anywhere. The question is, how did we get here? I alluded to this to this earlier. If you take a look at the uh, stats Canada and, and and the census, and you look at people who check off what they believe in the census. of the people in our area, in Coquitlam, checked off as they identify as Christians, including Catholics. Now, we talked about how only 5% of those people connect with a church, an evangelical church, which means that 40% of the population would be the used-to-go-to-church crowd. 40% 40% of the people used to go to church. We're losing people. You're not unaware of that for the most part. How do we get there, though? Why are we here? Why are we talking about these numbers? You may also ask the question, well, we, we celebrated baptism a couple of weeks ago on Easter. Are people hearing about Jesus? Yeah, they are. Are people believing in Jesus? New people coming to church? New people coming to Christ? Yeah, they are. But if you take the resources that churches in North America spend and compare that with the amount of people coming to Jesus and proclaiming their new life through baptism, the North American church in the latest studies Is spending two point zero nine million dollars for every to see before they see one new person baptized to follow Jesus. The study says one point five five American, but we're in Canada and the number is bigger, so I use the bigger number, okay? We're spending over $2 million as Christians. and The math is easy. Take all the church expenses, divide that with a number of people coming to Jesus, and we're spending more than $2 million in Canadian to try to, to I don't know what we're doing. Here's the verdict. We've rested on being disciples. We've rested as Churches, We've rested as Christians on good Sunday-going Christians. We've rested on helping our kids to come to know Jesus, which is incredible ministry. But we've rested on taking care of ourselves of our own comfort, of our own doing. The very thing that Paul told Galatia to walk, keep walking away from, we are going back towards it. And we've fallen short... On Jesus's commission for us and his commission for us is not to sit and go to church on Sundays I love everything we do here don't get me wrong but his commission for us is beyond that his commission for us is to push back the darkness that is keeping people from knowing Jesus His commission for us is that as we're going, be disciple makers of all people as we're going. In fact, when we look at the scripture again for the commission, he says, go therefore. If we take a look at how it was written in Greek and recorded by both Matthew and Luke, it's it's best translated as, as you're going which means Jesus is assuming that if you follow him, you're actually going already. You're going there to make disciples of all nations, of all people, regardless of what they look like, regardless of what they believe, regardless if it's going to cost you. Jesus' assumption more so than a command, because this is a commission for us. His assumption is we're already doing that. In John 20, Jesus recorded the saying, my father has sent me, so now I am sending you to go as you're going, as you're not just Going as you're being a neighbor, as you're going to work, as you're doing what it is that you do on a day to day basis between between the two Sundays, as you're going, make disciples of all nations and go back and help them get baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And then teach them what it is that I commanded you to do and what He commanded us to do love God and love our neighbors. I'm Always a kid, but not really. I'm a I'm a simple guy. I, I'm not really a big scholar. Don't ask my seminary how long it took for me to get my degree. Ten years. All I wanted is the simple stuff. How to make this simple? Love God, love your neighbors, go make disciples of all nations. Help them get baptized so that they may do the same. And remember, I am with you. Till the ends of the age. Years ago, when I was just became a believer, um, at when I was like early twenties. I was still living with my parents, and uh, on Saturday morning, you know, what does a twenty year old kid do when on Saturday morning they sleep in? And so about ten o'clock, I wake up. I open the door, and I, I find my parents or my my dad's friends. Um, and my mom sitting in the living room. Oh, I was like, oh, sorry, I wasn't expecting here. Thank goodness I put a shirt on. And I was like, where's dad? Oh, guess what? Good news, Conrad. Uh, we brought our pastor here to share Jesus with your dad. And they're over at the kitchen up talking right now. And the first thought I thought was, oh, this is going to go well. So I... Leave my head over to the breakfast nook just to eavesdrop a little. And in the best Cantonese translation I got for you is, um, Mr. Al, do you believe there's a God? Of course not, you idiot. Or dummy, or whatever it is, the Cantonese best translation. It was not nice. All the while, my parents' friends were sitting in the living room chit-chatting about stuff, and they're like, let the professionals do it. He knows what to do. I don't know who I feel sorry for more. My dad or the pastor. Of course not, you idiot. What are you, dumb? Kept going. He didn't come to Jesus that day. A couple of years ago, I think I shared with you on screen that he did come to Jesus later on. I can revisit that another time another day. But God's commission for us is not your pastor's job. It's not even your church's job. It is your call. It's all our call to reach our neighbors. Your neighbor is not your pastor's neighbor. The best person to reach the people who don't know Jesus in your life is not the person standing here on a Sunday morning. The best person is you. And those people that are around you that I talked about earlier, here's something that I want you to think about if there's one thing you want to think about on your way out. You may be the only person in that person's life, in that 95% 95 population, you may be the only person that would be praying for them. They may not have anybody else in their life praying for them, aside from you. So at the very least, pray for them. But it is all our call to go and make disciples of all nations. It's all our call to love our neighbors. That is, the best person is you. And you may be saying, Conrad, it's hard because in some places, I'm not allowed to talk about God. But you see, God is is an infinite God of wisdom. As I wrap up my stint as a manager... Um, I had meetings of all my staff members and, and uh, I'm re- they know what I do. I don't hide from them that I'm a pastor outside of work. And one staff member came up to me and, and just thanked me for just being able to listen. And she asked a question. She asked a question about, you know, I, I hope that the next person um, had, had, would, would, find, would help me find more peace. How, how do you find peace? And you know those moments when you speak and you realize it's not your words, it's God's, because you're not that smart? I said to her, um, you know, there's not a lot that I can, I, I don't want to force my belief on you. That's not my job. But I would encourage you to find, to, to do all the research You know, don't be afraid to research everything, know everything, find answers, ask the questions, and then make a determination for yourself. And I believe that if you truly do that with an open mind, as the world wants us to have an open mind, we also need to have an open mind and demonstrate that open mind. So if you have an open mind and do all the research, I am confident that you will discover my belief. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not right away, maybe it'll take a few years. But if we encourage people to keep an open mind, they'll discover God. The peace that was in her heart when she heard that. I knew it wasn't me. Yeah, it gets difficult. Because Jesus even said, who are your neighbors? And we're running short on time. I'll so briefly tell you that in in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus answered that question very simply as the people who are hardest to love in your life. People that's going to cost you. And yet, if you don't answer, it will cost you. When I first started with the federal government, I um, was assigned a cubicle. And next to my cubicle was and one that had extra high walls compared to everybody else. And I soon discovered why there was an extra high wall compared to everybody else and why I, the new person, got assigned to that seat. I'm going to call this man's name Chris. Chris, uh, yeah, not many people want to sit next to Chris. Um, Chris wore the same thing every single day. He also smelled like he wore the same thing every single day, and every time someone gets assigned to the seat, people wanted to get transferred. Walls or the cubicle walls are higher, so that you know maybe it blocks away from that smell. Used to have these uh, table fans. I learned that I shouldn't be turning that on because it'll just blow the smell at me. It's hard. And Chris has opinions. You had lots of opinions, and it'll really bog your work down. It was just tough, and so over the years I got promoted, and I got moved on, and what so. One day I walk into the building, and I just hear this horrible, horrible hacking. Somebody was losing their lungs, and as I walk closer, and I heard the words associated with the hacking, I realized it was Chris. And I thought, okay, Conrad, if you are truly a pastor, you're going to talk to Chris today and see if you can help him. But I had to get to work. So I sat down at my desk and just mind my own business and I said, okay, next time I see, next time I get an opportunity to see Chris, I'm gonna to talk to him and see if I can help him and see if something I can uh, you know, pray for him. A couple of hours later, I need to go to the bathroom. So I walked up and started head to the bathroom. And as I'm, Nearing the bathroom, I'm, I'm hearing the hacking, the coughing, the, the, the words that are coming out of it. And then when I pushed the door open to the bathroom, oh, boy, I smelled Chris. And I said, oh, I can't barely breathe in here. I, I can't talk to him. I said, go to another bathroom. I'll try him later when it's more comfortable in the open, perhaps outside Maybe. And then I forgot about it. I didn't see Chris for the rest of the day. It was a Friday. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, go back to work, turn on the email. And then I get a message from senior management Said they were sorry to tell everybody Chris passed away on the weekend. When people don't hear Jesus because you made a choice not to tell them. When people don't hear Jesus because you made a choice to say, I want my comfort, when people don't hear Jesus because, oh gosh, I hope, I hope someone told them about Jesus before he died. I still do. This is more than 10 years later. And I, you know, I don't make a lot of vows aside from the ones of my wife. But I vowed that I will do whatever I can to not let somebody go without hearing Jesus. Because to live with the idea that somebody is not with Jesus right now because I chose not to talk to him, because of a silly thing like a smell, it still breaks me. It's not about how many people who come to church, guys. It's about those who don't know Jesus and need him today to find hope today. And when we get sent out, it's not about, you know, go and make sure you attend all the functions that are in between the Sundays. It's about the people who you will live next to, that you make a choice of finding ways to share Jesus' love. They may not be receptive, but at least show them. Because one day they may start asking you questions like a staff member of yours who you couldn't tell anything about Jesus because you're not allowed to in the public forum, but they see something different. So as the worship team comes and gets us prepared to be sent from this place, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that you think about the Christ in your life. I'm to pray for the people who... We may have said no to because of our comfort. Pray for the people who, you don't, who don't know Jesus, but you see almost on a daily, monthly basis. Who are those people in your life? Who are the people back on that screen, on, the, on, the, on your Tic-Tac-Toe box? Who are those people that you have been set apart for? because you have been set apart for your neighbors. You've been set apart for the people who are difficult to love. And if you need a question for your small group this week, what have you done about the people on that chart? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for sending your son. We learned over Easter that be reminded over at Easter that uh, you, you sent him because we alone ourselves can't do enough to be with you, but you can through your son. And yet, your gift to us is not one for us to hold on to to the tune of two million dollars before we see somebody to come to know Jesus. Your call for us is to go. And take the message that your son sent and send it the way he asked us to father we pray for the names that we jotted down today that this week we at least choose to lift them up to you and reveal to us ways that we can partner with you and partner with one another to be the neighbor that the good Samaritan was because we, they need hope, Father. Father, we are sorry for the ways that we've fallen short as a community of believers. Change our hearts so that you point us to your heart and your will be done. Amen.